Hey, thanks again for making the time to uh, tune in and to uh, hopefully learn from one another about God's goodness, His grace, and that He is for us. So let's be like Him and be for one another. Uh, my name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org. We believe people's stories matter to unlearn what we thought was right, relearn what is right. One with a tremendous story is Tamara Andrus. Tamara, welcome in. Hi, thank you so much. I love that intro. What a great show concept. It's so good. Well, thank you. And uh, for you, I do. I believe it's all about relationships, connections, that God opens doors, and we need to value one another. I got to interview Daryl Stinson, who introduced me to his pastor, Travis Hall. And then Travis Hall had you on his podcast, Transformational Truths. And uh, you have a phenomenal story. But to back up, where did you first meet Travis? So I met Travis through Daryl too. So Daryl's obviously a super connector for the kingdom, which I love <laughs> so much. And I met Daryl through my uh, personal coach, uh, who is my business coach. And Daryl and I share the same coach, Mike Seller. So uh, it's been a year in the making for this show to transpire. But I love how you see God compounding his kingdom and his connections through good people. Very nice. And I apologize because typically I have a monitor behind me where I'd be showing a picture of your book, your newest book, uh, Always Becoming. First question regarding your book, and we'll dig in more towards that a little bit later, but was writing easy for you or was it something that you needed a lot of coaching with? How did that whole concept to uh, project finish? Yeah, great question. I am a writer by nature uh, and only because actually I should say I'm a writer by nurture because my mom <laughs> and dad were very persistent about us writing uh, book reports when we were little and it wouldn't be even if it was a only a word or a, only a picture only book. We would still have to write book reports. And the oh, next wow. layer to that, which is why I'm able to be here on a podcast with you today, is they would take us and make us stand on the fireplace mantle altar area. And then we would have to say and public speak our book reports. And so I've been writing since I was little. I've been speaking since I was little. But it was three-ish years ago when I was sitting across from my personal trainer at the time. And uh, she was just having a conversation about her, her, her journey of identity and her journey of identity through motherhood, uh, through her body concepts, through health. And I was on a very similar one uh, for the years prior to and had just come into this realization of our body not actually being the need, um, mm. but it's an just the vessel, right? And, and yet society tells us that it's a need, whether it's a need to look like something, to fit into something, to appear in a certain way, yeah. to do this diet or this diet. So the writing stemmed, I got all 30 chapter downloads, literally mentally in my spirit. And, and it was in a wild, within seven days, I had written 175 pages. The book is 300 pages and it took <laughs> three years after that first download and deposit onto the page for me to be able to complete the book, because once I got it out there, it was all obviously in raw version. And there was a lot of becoming that happened in the process. And so I was realizing as I wrote chapter by chapter of the development that uh, I needed to take excursions in order to do that. It wasn't something that I could do in the midst of motherhood and um, it was just too much with little toddlers. So in my writing retreats, I get into flow and I literally don't get up from the chair other than to go to the bathroom and to answer the person who comes <laughs> to the door to bring me coffee or food. And I'm in a robe all day and I just get into 16 hour flows where it's just coming out. 
Um, and so I just trust the Holy Spirit in, in the writing process more than trusting myself, because if you trust yourself, you will get nowhere and you will create roadblocks and limiting beliefs for yourself to accomplish the thing that God has called you to do. Well, that's wisdom right there. And congratulations. I'm excited to get a copy of your book and to, to share it, not just for myself, uh, with my wife, 17-year-old daughter, and probably my 19-year-old son should read it as well. Totally. Uh, and so as we just think about you, TamaraAndress.com is where you can find more information. Tamara Andress, there are two A's in the middle, uh, .com. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is also where I currently reside. So I'm a born and raised beach baby. And so is my husband. And uh, I'm grateful for those roots. I'm grateful for the community that's been cultivated. But I am also, especially in this last season of life, recognizing that uh, I can't stay planted in a place when God has me ready for expansion. Um, and so it's necessary for us to be willing to go where he calls us to. And it's been really evident this past year, especially as I've been traveling around the country for speaking engagements to see that transpire and know that there is freedom in it. And there's actually a whole big world out there if you get outside of your, your backyard. Oh, that's so good. This is my dog, uh, Bailey. I don't know if you just saw her. She just laid down. So uh, Bailey kind of felt left out. But... <laughs> Hi, Bailey. Tamara, I just think about the opportunities that we have to travel, to share stories. I heard someone say, I believe it was John Maxwell, where he was a pretty prolific speaker, but just the opportunity to write books that actually went beyond the gatherings that could come and hear him speak. And for you with your book, you're touching lives that you might never meet those individuals. What type of burden or responsibility do you feel, but also what what kind of joy is there in knowing that God's using your story to reach so many people? That's a loaded question on both ends because the morning that the book came out and honestly throughout the entire process, as I mentioned, it was a really hard, um, it's like growing a baby, which is really hard. You might not know that, but you might have witnessed it. Um, but eventually that baby is going to be birthed. And there's so much expectancy around that. Like, what are they going to look like? What features are they going to have? What are other people going to see in them that I might not see? And the world is going to nurture that baby, right? You think as a mom, as the writer, you're the only one who has control over that concept or that message. But we know that once you release something out like that, the world's going to say and do what they want when they want it. And um, so the morning of, which was a week ago uh, today, I, I was in tears and I had the opportunity to share what it felt like. And I had yet to come up with an analogy. And it was really this birthing process that made it make the most mm -hmm. sense to me. Because when you have your baby, you're, you want to hold her or him and you want to show them off to the world. Nowadays, everything Instagram posts, right? <laughs> Everyone sees ex exactly what's happening. But what you don't want as a mom or, or a father, you don't want somebody telling you what that baby is going to be yeah, yeah. and what they might look like or not look like, right? You think they're the most beautiful thing that's ever transpired and in this side of heaven. And so it felt like that. It felt like I was holding my baby really, really, really close. And now I was about to give it to someone, give it away to a stranger. What are they going to say? Are they going to nurture it the way that I've nurtured it? Are they going to have a varied opinion of what it could become and what it actually is? Will they then from a, I, I will say in vain, an ego perspective, because I have a, a, what do I like to call it? Recovering people pleasing problem <laughs> <laughs> is like, I, I don't want people not to like me because they know the whole me versus just the me that you might get to experience today. 
And so there is a lot of highs and lows, but the burden is light in the knowing yeah, of yeah. how this calling has already touched so many people's lives over the course of the five years since I've come to be in like full understanding and relationship with the Lord. And so it's not just um, an outcome experience, it's a commitment. And so I'm committed to the outcome that God has planned versus the outcome that I want to try and control. Well, that's so good. And on Instagram, it's Tamara.Andrus, Tamara.Andrus. And on Twitter, if I could pull that up, it's Andrus, uh, Tamara, Andrus, Tamara on Twitter as well. But the name of the book is Always Becoming, and the line after it is Sex, Shame, and Love. And what I find very interesting, peculiar, is that your story is not unique. However, the fact that you would share it in such vulnerability, honesty, and sharing of God's healing and help throughout that is unique because sometimes we are defined or feel as though we're defined by our lowest common denominator. And as you mentioned, the concern that someone could use what happened in your past against you now, instead of seeing God's forgiveness and his healing and the joy that you can give to others that have struggled or are struggling. I am just so grateful that you would make the time. So I just want to start right there with sex, shame, and love. Can you just begin with uh, some of that story that's yeah. represented in your book, Always Becoming? Absolutely. And, and you'll notice if you're watching live and if not, when you see the book cover on Amazon, that sex and shame are lowercase and love is uppercase um, because I think oftentimes sex is associated to love. Yeah. And yeah. yet it's the little love where you can't <clears throat> possibly comprehend the grandiose capital L of the love of the father. And so I was 29 years old. This is the best place to start. Actually, I start in a different place all the time, but this is this is the <laughs> moment where I, I knew that there was something more for my life and I couldn't comprehend what it was. And it wasn't actually the moment that I met Jesus. And so that is interesting for the church as well. Yeah. It was that conviction moment, that seed where there was no turning back. And I had pulled into my driveway. I was working about 60 to 70 hours a week. I had a nine month old and a barely two year old at the time. Actually, it was not quite two. And uh, I was a CEO of two companies, one which was global and one which was local in an online brick and mortar store. And I thought I was living the life, the life that I had been cultivating and the life that America tells me I should be living the American dream. Right. And yeah, I yeah. had the white picket fence and the hot husband and uh, the blondes and the blue eyes and the <laughs> boy first and the girl second. Right, and right. we are obviously <laughs> understanding that there is much more to humanity than that picket fence. Um, but it is only now that I'm really recognizing how sad it is and the way that people portray what happiness actually looks like. Yeah. And so I pull into the driveway, my barely waddling. She was already walking at nine months because she had a rambunctious big brother and she was independent. <laughs> and instead of coming to me, I had just finished nursing like weeks before. Instead of coming to me, she turned around and walked back towards her daddy. Hmm. And I just felt this sense of void and this sense of aha simultaneously to say, this is what you've prayed for. And so the curiosity of you're living this life and you're also a Christian and you're actually seeking God, but your priorities are completely out of a line. Well, I knew that God existed, but I didn't understand him in a relational matter at all. Even though I'd been showcased or experienced that through young life when I was younger, all I knew was religion. All I knew were the words to every song. All I knew were if someone started saying a parable or a Bible story, I could finish it, but I didn't know yeah. where it was. And 
I didn't understand the fullness or the entirety of how that was applicable to me. So I walk into my house, I'm completely void. I don't end up really even pursuing the love that I was actually yearning for in that moment. Instead, I just go back into isolation of my priorities. And my priorities at the time were my business and my title and this quote unquote fictitious happiness that had become Hmm. a mask that I had worn for so long that I didn't know how to take off. And so even looking in the mirror, I was just getting ready. I was just exteriorly driven and there was no interior satisfaction. Um, And so I was looking for love, little love in all the wrong places um, through that American dream, through money, through achievement, through people pleasing, through um, even my kids, but not in a present moment, just in a I'm your mama kind of experience. And my husband and I were detracting from this Barbie and Ken concept into just roommates at the time. And yet he was still drawing towards me, still calling me and out in affirmations of goodness, which is not my love language. And you will learn through Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, that if you're trying to give love in the way that you receive love, it's not going to work very well. And so at this point, trial by fire, he was trying everything to just connect with me. But it was that moment when I pulled into the driveway where I recognized in my deep gut, in my spirit, man, that I would not have a tombstone that said she's a really good entrepreneur Hmm. or that she's a money concept of anything, six, seven, eight, nine figure earner. Who cares? It's not my title. It's my identity that's going to be left in my legacy. And at the time, as my husband would say, you're a woman of integrity. I was not going to have that imprinted on my tombstone if I was to choose it. And so I needed to shift and the shift took place in all these little white lies compounding to the recognition that I was being unfaithful and uh, I was being unfaithful to myself predominantly for decades. And that started with sex and I didn't know it. It started that I had been sexually abused when I was about two and a half years old. And this did not transpire from an, uh, a recognition or a memory perspective until I was about three sessions into therapy. Wow. I, had, I had suppressed, I had coped, I had done everything on the exterior, but I was holding deep, deep root shame. And the shame stemmed from the fact that the boy who it happened with multiple times on several occasions and Uh, He would quiet my mouth with his finger because he was obsessed with three stooges and he looked like a man. He was the size of a man, um, but he was barely a teenager and also had a mental handicap. And so it just how could you say something about that and how at a two and three and four do you even comprehend what to say? And is this wrong or is this right? And It was terrible and I suppressed it over and over until I was reading a book that my therapist suggested when I had come to that rock bottom moment, I did turn to help. But it wasn't until after suicidal ideation, deep depression, Googling, (laughs) searching everywhere, like how and who can help me, what's actually even wrong with me, I had no idea. And so it was at that moment that I was I was recognizing there is so much more to my identity than what I've portrayed and what highlight reels I have created. And it's time for me to get into intimacy and into love with me. And the only way that I could do that was through learning 
who and how I was cultivated through the love of the Father. Tamara, so much uh, information right there. And uh, it's not just information, but it's your experience. TamaraAndress.com is where you can find more information and you can get a copy of her book, Always Becoming. But um, I'm reminded of a few things. Uh, Gary Chapman, excellent guy. Uh, I had the opportunity to interview him and he's so humble, but how he shares, how we communicate love is so important. And uh, then as a small group, our church is going through Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Pete Scazzaro. And it really addresses the American dream is not necessarily God's dream for you. So finding out your identity. So good. But the question that I have for you is, when did you realize that you needed counseling? And how excited were you about going to find out how you could heal and open some of the doors from your past? Yeah, uh, not at all. And I hope that that's probably generally an answer that most people give. And it was really, and this is a chapter in my book about stigma, stigma around therapy. And at the time, mental health wasn't even really a buzzword like it is nowadays. It feels like everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking about depression and anxiety. They were not six years ago. And maybe they were, but not in my circle because my circle was not uh, concentrated on self-development. They were concentrated on exterior acquisition, right? And so the self-development realm uh, really was found and decided on when I was Googling this morning after a night of just full body shakes and anxiety so deep and grave that that's when I was like ideating, uh, how can I leave this planet? How can I leave my kids in the better hands of uh, their husband, their dad, and maybe a new mom that didn't have these circling issues inside of her? And so a lot of people say Mm. that suicide is selfish and I've been told that suicide is actually one of the most selfless acts, not to give that person identity of the fact that they're right. selfless, but it's it's the mentality that is circling in that moment is you're just trying to leave because it's easier for you and better for them. But we know that the hard work actually is the heart work and God's passion and desire for us is to live in the fullness of our identity. And that was me searching. Where do I go? How do you check in when there's nothing wrong with you? You're not an alcoholic, but you drink alcohol. You're not um, uh, anorexic or bulimic, but you have food and body image issues. You are successful and therefore not poverty stricken. So you can't go to a, a parental you know, facility for women or right. an abused shelter. I was being abused, but in all the wrong ways, not the perspective of physical abuse that you would be thinking through. And I had intimacy issues. And so it was so confusing, but all I could find was these like women's facilities that were like 40K and month long programs. And I'm like, how is it possible that as a mom, I'm supposed to pluck myself out of this situation, go get whole and not feel immensely guilty? Not to mention we could not afford that. And so I felt so stuck. And it was when we actually brought over who we refer to as our fairy godmother. Uh, She came over and she sat with us on the couch for three hours. And that was when I actually met Jesus for the first time and had an encounter with the Lord. Wow. And in that encounter, and I'll never forget the imagery of it. um, I see this ring light in the corner of my eye, but it, it truly was this like ray of light, of sun, of rainbow, every color miraculously blended into white. And he lifted my chin from my feet because they were downcast and I wasn't able to even make eye contact with people in this season to his face and to his glorious eyes. And he said to me, you are fully known, you are fully seen, and I still 
love you. And the still was the part that was the transition for me because I knew Jesus loves me. This I know, right? For the Bible tells me so, but I didn't know it at a granular level. And so it was that moment where I just sat beneath the words of um, uh, t- uh, Tyrell. Um, gosh, I can't think of his name right this second. It's slipping. Um, Tornwells. Yeah, Tornwells. Love by you, right? I sat in fetal position to that song for days. And my fairy godmother was like, I have somebody that you need to go see. And I tried therapy in lots of different realms. I tried Christian therapy. I tried multiple different therapists. And the variation between going to therapy to go to therapy and going to therapy to receive therapy are two totally different things. I believe people are instructed to go to therapy all the time. And I think that they go because their insurance covers it, but I don't think they're going to receive. And so it was a few sessions in and a few different people in that I finally sat in a chair with somebody who I'd sat a couple of times with, and I had already decided, I had already stamped the seal. I don't like her. (laughs) She would laugh if she heard this. I don't like her she's for you, right? She's, she's for my husband. She's not for me. He's already put everything out on the silver platter. Right. And she's partnering with him is how I felt. And it wasn't until I got alone with her that she started asking the difficult questions and peeling away the layers. And she slid that book across to me, the the very book that when I opened the bind and I was three chapters in the flood waves of memory from that childhood experience and experiences came over me and I was able to re-recognize memories that I had put away for so long in that Pandora's box or closet or whatever you want to call it. And so receiving therapy, you have to go with the heart posture of receiving rather than I'm going just to check a box. And so when I finally did that, it transformed my life. And it's the same way with church. When you finally go with the desire to receive rather than the desire of checking a box um, to please anyone but God, then you realize the transformation that's actually palpable and attainable for you. Such a good word. Tamara Andrus, TamaraAndrus.com. The name of the book that she wrote is Always Becoming. You can find that on her website and on Instagram. It's Tamara.Andrus, Tamara.Andrus on uh, Instagram. I want to just share or ask a question uh, regarding a podcast I listened to, and it talked about pornography and how everyone knows it's a substitute, but intimacy takes time and effort and work to discover yourself, but also, and it's a lot more than just physical intimacy, but discover those that you love, but people settle for a counterfeit thus being pornography. Can you just talk about why does it seem like human nature will cop out to the easy thing and give in to what they know is not real? Uh, Much like you said with therapy, what are you trying to receive versus, you know, check a box? Uh, Why is that growing in American culture when people already know it's not the, the best thing that is available to them? Well, you know, I think it's this concept of sex culture. It's this concept of lack of intimacy and lack of true identity. And when we're given a picture of anyone, you could even just get a picture of me circa six years ago. And you would say, oh, wow, 
And the first things that you're looking at are my outfit and my smile and maybe where I am in the picture. And um, you're taking in, is she pretty? Is she not? You're judging me right out the gate. Yeah, yeah. And judgment, I think, is the ultimate reason uh, why people run from true communication and true intimacy. They don't mm. want to be judged. And so if I'm looking at these pictures and I can curate my own storyline, I can tell myself so many little white lies that I believe it and I can be turned on by it or turned off by it, or I can perceive that I am getting something that I need in this moment and therefore I am content. But yeah. contentment is so much more granular than something just being seen through your eyes. It's right. a feeling. It's it's an actual touch. That's why human emotion has so many senses and human beings have so many inner workings to be able to granularly feel the presence of God rather than to just read about it or hear about it in church. And so intimacy starts with self. It's being able to actually recognize what is my need right now and why am I fleeing to this thing that feels easy or comfortable? It's because when you are fully naked with your spouse and should be with your spouse alone, and we can talk <laughs> about that too, it's really hard to stand there. Shoot, yeah. it's hard for us to stand in the mirror naked. Right, right. Right. We, we're judging ourselves. It doesn't have to be a picture. We don't need the enemy. We, we're good at telling ourselves how unworthy we are, how imperfect we are. And that's why it's really important for us to recognize and to seek after his face and his eyes as you can every single day. Because what's happening when you're standing in the mirror is you're actually not seeing yourself. You're right. using your eyes looking into a mirror, which is a tool and an object to reflect who you are. But when I had that encounter with Jesus, it was the reminder that the mirror is actually only to be sought in his face and in his presence because the great I am lives within us. And so what I should be looking at is the face of Jesus, is the face of God so that I can emulate and I can recognize how worthy, how beautiful, how called, how miraculous I am. And that's what I like to look through the lens to other people because every single person is made in his image. So as sex culture suggests, it's easy to come by. It's on TV. It was on MTV music videos all back in the day. It was in the pornography magazines that were in the closet when I would play hide and seek and I would sit there and that's what I knew a woman's body was meant for. I was taught that intimacy doesn't exist. I was taught that I am a tool. And therefore, this is how I show up in conversations, in relations, in experiences with the opposite sex from a very, very early age. Wow. And uh, so it, I just, I yearn when you talked about your son or daughter reading yeah. it, I yearn for that generation to understand that intimacy exists with self and then with Jesus and God himself way, way, way before you ever even meet or experience or stand naked with your groom or bride. So good. Uh, Tamara Andrus on Twitter is Andrus Tamara, and you can find uh, Always Becoming at her website, TamaraAndrus.com. Uh, I had the opportunity to interview Chris Hare, and I'm not name dropping. There's a point to this, but he was featured on ESPN's 30 for 30 Unguarded. He wrote the book Basketball Junkie. He was a basketball player, played uh, pro professionally, but he was addicted to all sorts of things. And he said he remembered shaving in the mirror where before he had always shaved in the shower. Mm. 
And he said, I was clean when I shaved and looked at myself in the mirror. And I could not remember not having that shame of looking into my own eyes. I believe you share a similar story about seeing yourself in the mirror. Can you talk now about what not just joy, but and not just feeling, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but when you see yourself now as chosen, still loved, forgiven, but with great purpose to share your story with others, how do you not jump around and smile all day knowing that God is for you? <laughs> well, I do. A lot of the days I do. If you know me, I'm jumping around and smiling a lot. Um, but I did have a moment like that. And it was it was about a month that I could not brush my teeth in the mirror. And in any encounter I had, man, women, child, anything, I had a really hard time looking at them in the face. And it was that moment I remember when that eye to eye contact happened that thereafter I was able to start looking at myself in the mirror again. But the answer to that question is presence. Hmm. And what does that mean? So we understand that the Holy Spirit is a deposit within us, that he lives within us, but he's also surrounding us at every given moment. And if he, like biblical scripture says, is as close as our breath to our very nature, then I get to lay down my ego and exist within my identity. And presence follows me and precedes me into every space. So when I stand in front of the mirror, I'm not looking at myself. I'm looking at the him within me. When I look at you or a brother or a sister or somebody that I don't know or a stranger, I am not actually looking at what the world would see as broken or homeless or different or colored or any of those words. I'm looking at them at that's God. How do you treat that person? How do you perceive that person? And that's how I can go into very hard situations like releasing a book that is like a baby and being okay with the fact that it's not about Tamara, it's about God. And what a message to be shared, especially during these times with uh, all the turmoil that uh, comes into play. Uh, the Fit and Faith podcast is uh, something that you've been a part of, and I was uh, pleased to see or hear that Fit stands for Founders, Innovators, and Trailblazers. And the podcast that released today with uh, Miss Avery was phenomenal. I actually reposted it on my Facebook account because it was just an encouragement to me to hear her story and your story as well. But when did you begin this podcast game? And uh, what have you found valuable about being able to share your story about others as well? Yeah, this is fun. So the Fit and Faith podcast actually stemmed and came out almost about two months to date from when that book deposit happened that I told you mm. about at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Because when I went to that hotel room and I deposited it, it was 175, I think it was 167 to be exact, but 175, <laughs> uh, rounded up. To, I, I knew that this message had to get out now, but I knew that the book wasn't ready. I knew that I was still in that process of healing and becoming and learning. And so I knew out the gate within that six days that it was going to be called Fit in Faith. I, I don't know why. I think it's because the fitness component of it, literally the chapter by chapter will take you through what you would perceive as a wellness journey, a typical one from the warm up all the way to the cool down, talking about hydration and trainers and body image and goals and all of these things, right? And I'm very familiar with because of my background in gymnastics. Um, but Specifically, when I went on the podcast journey, my intent was to learn. Um, I told you I was decent at speaking and I knew I wanted to go video podcasting right out the gate, which a lot of people hadn't really shown or given me ideas on how to do it yet other than right. Joe Rogan. 
And so I was like, let's do it. I think it'll be fun. I, I'm tech-y enough that I could figure it out. But if you go back to those first days, the quality wasn't nearly the same. And the 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 setting was different. And everyone was in person the first year. So it was like hosting my own talk show, which was really fun. Right, right. But it's evolved. I'm on the end of season three. I've had over 160 guests at this point. And by the end of the year, we'll have nearly 200 episodes dropped. Wow. And it has been a journey of learning. And what I often say in my podcast is that I go in with the spirit of desired conviction, which is really weird. Most people are like, why would you want to be convicted? That's uncomfortable. But if we can go in with that postured heart of God, what do you have to teach me? Isn't that what learning actually is? Because ultimately we go into an environment of learning and we're expecting to get something out of it, but we pick and prod what is worthy of learning. And we usually do the things that are comfortable or that enhance something we already believe. And that's how we become. We choose who we want to be based on what we learn, based on the environments we put ourselves in. However, if you invite somebody who is out of context to something you understand or something or someone that you've personally interacted with no different than yourself, it's this knowing that there is more to the picture of heaven. There is more to God because you live and exist within him. And so my curiosity doesn't kill the cat. It expands me right. to live a lifetime of eternity in a deeper knowing of thyself, which then allows me to pour out to others because thyself is connected to the identity of God. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, I was reminded, Carrie Newoff talked about, um, I think it's either being cynical or critical. How do you uh, solve that issue? It's be curious and learn from one another. Uh, I love how you said in the title of your book, Always Becoming, because there's this thought, at least that I've thought of, and maybe it's just semantics about, we just need to be, we need to be. But I love become because we're a work in progress. And sometimes we become or we're stretched the most under adversity or the challenge of thought or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. For you, has that always come naturally because you are so driven that you wanted people to speak into your life so you could improve? Or were there those times where you just thought, you know, I'll figure it out myself. I don't want people to challenge me so I can grow. Hmm. That's really great. I think it was probably the former piece of wanting to always grow, always wanting to become and learn, but positioning myself in spaces that they were the people I wanted to learn from. Right. I was picky. I was choosy. And so that I was I was going towards the goal that I had set out for myself rather than putting myself in uncomfortable situations. So here's a great example. I went, when I did go to church, to an all-white church right up the road, right? And their worship was like, not out of a hymnal, uh, but in it was, you know, smoke and fog and fun things like that. But it, yeah. it wasn't outside of my comfort zone. Because on Monday, I would listen to country music and it sounded just the same and it appeared to make me feel right. just the same way. And I didn't ever raise my hand at a country concert and I didn't <laughs> raise my hand at church. Well, that was circa not childhood per se, because we didn't necessarily go to church growing up, but believed in a God and I knew the Lord's prayer. Um, I would go sporadically for holidays. And then uh, in high school is really when I got submitted into going into Christian like young youth groups, not even church at that point either. And so when I was at this rock bottom and we were seeking, right, I, I was willing to yeah. do anything and be anywhere that Jesus would be. And I knew the only place that 
at least that's what I understood that Jesus existed in the church. I didn't understand this concept of Holy Spirit. I didn't understand that he is with me everywhere that I am. I knew right. God could see me from up in heaven, right? But not that he was with me right now. He's with us right now. And so we searched, we called 11 churches locally, none of which were meeting. And we had always gone to a Wednesday night service. It was Tuesday. Yeah. And my husband just by chance remembered that he had served a customer. He does HVAC in people's homes. So when you go into somebody's home, you leave a little bit more of a, of a con uh, imprint, if you will, yeah. than if you're driving through Chick-fil-A. And so he remembered these people and he's like, oh my gosh, I know these pastors that live in Chesapeake. Let me text him because he has everybody's cell phone number. And so he texts them. And I remember hearing from the contrary position of the pastors who are now some of our very dearest best friends and help produce everything that we do on a consistent basis with fit mm. and faith and my business. And uh, they said, we were so scared. We wanted to cancel it. We wanted to text you back because we didn't have our A string team because they were at a conference. B string and C string weren't showing up either. And it was like D string performance that night at church. They didn't have worship. They didn't have all this stuff. What they had though, was the Holy spirit. What they had though was intimacy. What they had though was eye contact. Wow. Three things that at the time I had not experienced ever truly. And so we went, I was a sobbing mess. I didn't wear makeup for a year really because I was just always crying and we walked in, I was made eye contact. I was hugged in a different way than I'd ever been hugged in church by what I always call and refer to as my aunties now. Yeah. They just embraced me like a mother's chest would. And at the time I was so shameful that I couldn't also even right. be in community with my mom. So it felt like home and it was just so incredible. And so what I am sharing in this response to this thing in a really long time story is that I'm sitting there and I am recognizing that when I put myself into situations that are not what I choose, mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit shows up and conviction feels lighter. Conviction feels like a nurturing experience rather than what happened to me. I'm going to rip this rug out from under you and you're going to end <laughs> up in fetal position because not, 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 you're not listening. So I was a control freak. I had to, I had to be the driver everywhere I went. And the Holy Spirit has convicted me in so many ways, so many times. And it makes me laugh at this point because I'm just like, yeah, I hear you. I get it. I've been convicted through a podcast that I shouldn't drink anymore. So I'm nearly two and a half years into not drinking, um, not to say forever. You know, I get the Jesus and wine thing. Everybody talks about it. In church. <laughs> it's OK. Um, but yeah, so many convictions have occurred in my life since the last six years. And I know that I am just starting and always becoming. So there's more to come. And Tamara, we thank you so much uh, just for um, your vulnerability. But I've said for a while that vulnerability without accountability can just become a pity party. And uh, the fact that you've allowed yourself to be held accountable, to be convicted, to be growing is just a reminder that uh, that's God's call on all of us. Somebody mentioned that uh, everyone hates change, but what is God doing in their lives? Well, <laughs> changing us more like him. So we have to adapt to that. Uh, one final question, then a fun question for you. And Tamara Andrus, the name of the book is Always Becoming, TamaraAndrus.com, is uh, you received this title in Entrepreneurial Rabbi. And so it seems like some ways, some things have come full circle with the American dream, with chasing after success. But now you've been able to 
go through opportunities, open doors, because God has laid the groundwork and you've become that person of character and integrity that your husband talked about way back when. I apologize. My cat's here now. So, I need to shut that door next time. <laughs> I love but it. Um, for you going back or going forward, how does that make you feel to see things through the proper lens or context that while God can allow people to use these titles about your life and actually being able to fulfill those through uh, who you are as a follower of Jesus? Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, we know and we hear that God uses all things for good. Every area of trauma that I've shared with you uh, has come full circle to the ability to be able to serve out of that, that healing, right? And the entrepreneurial rabbi was kind of a shock and also like a that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> moment when I was at a coffee shop with a friend who even though I know like comparison and nobody's ahead of anyone, everyone's becoming at the same level and speed and pace that God would have them be based on their level of surrender. I always positioned him as somebody who I looked up to and that he was like higher in the church and had been doing it longer than me. And, you know, all of the things that we do in the flesh. And in this moment, he was just a brother at the same, same exact yoked experience. And when he said that to me, I had this aha moment. I, I, I spent two years getting my ordination and minister's licensing uh, in that seeking time of seeking my identity through the identity of God. And it was such a treasured experience. And as I came out of that, I sat with my pastor because I had still so deeply yearned entrepreneurial anything. I love the I love the experience. I love the ideation. I love the creation. I love vision casting with people. I love taking them out of what they think their dream is and giving them this bigger dream to sit within and 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 really chase towards in the right ways versus in the busy culture or the hustle culture that we live, but in the in the pursuing of Jesus and the pursuing of our calling, which ultimately manifests the kingdom here on earth. And so uh, I, I got to sit with my pastor at the end of that ministering licensing and ordination. And he said, um, what are you going to do? What's, what's next? And what are you going to do with this? And I'm like, I have no idea. But my my flesh, I think it's my flesh, is really drawing back towards being an entrepreneur and, and starting businesses. He said, why do you perceive that it's your flesh? And I was just like, because I feel like I'm supposed to go into ministry. And I feel like I'm supposed to start a church or be in a church or help people in that way. And he smiled and he didn't really uncover everything that I've now since uncovered in the last few years. But all he said was, God will give you grace for your space. Hmm. And if you're meant to be on secular stages, he will use you there. And if you're meant to be in a pulpit, he will use you there. But don't section off where God shows up or where God puts you or positions you. And so since that time, I've pursued passion and I've pursued purpose. And there are these big words that everybody talks about and still yearning for. And how do you actually discover it? Well, I want people to know freely that, again, it's similar to becoming purpose is not a placement. It's a pursuit. Yeah. And what I do today might be something very different than tomorrow. And the book that comes out next year will be really different than today. But what I do know is that in that process of becoming and pursuing passion, I have an opportunity to serve. And I serve through professional development of getting people outside of the church mindset to say that being a business person 
or being an entrepreneur is wrong, that earning money and lots of it is wrong because that's not the heart for our prosperous, abundance father. In order to create kingdom culture here on earth, in order for us to actually have the authority that God truly says that we have and us take dominion in the land like we're needing to do, we have to have the resources in order to create that foundation. And the poor mentality of the church is not going to get us there. The businessmen who were fundamentally in the church, in the Bible, from early days of scripture, in the Old Testament, businessmen were ministry men and they toiled with their hands and they created. Jesus was a carpenter. Do you think he made a bunch of things and then never sold it? No, (laughs) he created his community and his family and he created a house and a home and all the needs that he says that he will always provide based on the gifts and talents that are innately inside of me. And so why suppress entrepreneurship if that's my calling when I can serve and still be in ministry? Business to me is everything or ministry to me is everything that I do in my business. Yeah. Ministry as my really good friend, Jonathan Pettit, the same one who I was just talking about, who I was sitting with in that coffee shop, who called me that entrepreneurial rabbi. He says that ministry is also being a mom and changing a diaper. Ministry is nurturing your husband, wife. Ministry is so much more than the church tells you it is. And you don't have to volunteer. I voluntarily show up every single day to pursue my ministry. And I don't do it for free. But I do freely give so much of myself that because God has freely given me so much. That is wonderful and so well said, and I thank you uh, for sharing that. Uh, There's no experience like the experience of God using us, and sometimes we limit that because we just want to go where we're comfortable or we where we feel people think we should be serving or giving, and I just think in your story there, it's such a reminder to be open because God created us with gifts and talents to be used for Him, not to be sacrificed for the sake of what some traditionalists might tell us to do. But uh, Tamara Andrus, TamaraAndrus.com. On Instagram, it's Tamara.Andrus. The name of the book is Always Becoming, about sex, shame, and love with a capital L, what true love is all about. On Twitter, it's at Andrus Tamara. Before we let you go, uh, the hopefully fun question for you is if or when, perhaps when in your case, the feature film is made about your life, who plays you in that feature film? Oh, come on. That was a fun question I wasn't anticipating. Oh, I would love to be on the big screen one day. So I'll say me. But if I am not (laughs) here, if I am not here, it would be of utter honor to see my little girl do it. There you go. Uh, What is your daughter's name? Her name is Waverly. And we will be praying for you and Waverly and for your husband and family. And we just thank you so much for, uh, again, it's not a unique story that you have, but it's very unique that you'd be willing to share it to help others because of what Jesus has done in your life and your obedience following him. So Tamara, thank you so much for making the time today. My truest pleasure. Thank you, friend, for doing what you're doing in the world. And again, that's Tamara Andrus, TamaraAndrus.com. My name is Jeff Fuller, uh, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org. God is for us, so let's be like Jesus and be for one another.